Hello, Wild Wanders, and welcome to our wicked window of the internet. Won't you pour yourself a cup of your best tea, light a candle to stave away the darkness, and cozy up as we tell you a story? Wittershins is a storytelling podcast where we will dive into dusty bookshelves and winding, darkened pathways, looking to stories from gothic literature, folklore, fairy tales, horror, and beyond. We are accompanied by our trusted bard and guitarist Joe Saborin, who will be live accompanying for us as our characters find their way out of the thickets and snarls of their tales. My name is Ashley Nunez, and I will be your narrator to peer over bough and branch, following our heroes and foes into far distant lands, both familiar and unknown. Let us begin Once Upon a Time. Midnight Wren by Alison Carwechter. Sweat dripped down her back and humidity clung to her clothes. But as uncomfortable as she was, Wren did not stop sewing. Everything depended on finishing in time. The summer had been unusually hot at Burdock House and it was spilling into these early days of September. All the other girls' teachers, and even Mistress Gregory, had gone away for the summer holidays and wouldn't return for another week. Wren, of course, remained, with only the housekeeper and gardener to keep her company. Like everyone at Burdock House, they kept well away from her. The school was, without a doubt, a second-rate boarding school. Every student with a hint of scandal in her background every teacher a bit too unrefined for better schools. Even so, Ren was shunned. It wasn't the circumstances of her birth, no. Plenty of girls here came from unwedded unions. Nor was it her ebony hair that shone in the moonlight with a hint of blue, the greenish cast to her skin in a certain light, or her missing eye. There were other girls here who didn't meet any standards for acceptable beauty or physical fitness, and they were all given the same adoration and attention. There's a sisterhood among them, a sense of knowing they would not fit elsewhere in society, so elevated themselves within their own. Nor was it the whispers that her mother came from the troublesome village over the mountain and through the treacherous forest. Billy May's mother had been a rider in her youth before she turned traitor and married a titan of the region's burgeoning logging industry. Billy was easily the most popular viper in their year. No, it wasn't the vague association with the village, which no one ever confirmed with any certainty. It was something worse. Something that could not be abided here, where every inmate of Burdock House was someone's secret shame. It was the neglect that hung around Wren like a rotting stench. She wasn't pampered like the other girls, despite the fact that her family was as wealthy as any of theirs. 
It was the empty table on parents' weekends and Mistress Gregory's smug proclamation of no mail for you, Wren, each week. It was her secondhand clothes mended poorly and the way each birthday passed without trinkets or bouquets. Wren wasn't here to be polished into something fit for the lower echelons of the high society. It was made clear she was here to be forgotten. And so she was. As she aged, there were no talks of marriage, no callers for her in the parlor. Nor were there furtive efforts to find her position as a governess or lady's companion. There was no discussion at all of her future, as though a future was too much to expect for one such as herself. She was unseen and trapped, and would remain so all her days. The idea made her queasy and disoriented. To always be hidden, to never be free, to never know herself outside one prison or another was very nearly more than she could bear. She shook these thoughts aside. She was sowing her future now. She was sowing it into existence. Rand's arms were tired and her back was stiff, but still, she sewed. She must finish in time. The sewing began after the headmistress departed for her summer home with a warning. Mistress Gregory, imposing and impossibly beautiful, had said, Touch nothing while I am gone. Do nothing while I am away. Be as a ghost in this house and leave no trace of yourself. Ren knew how to be a ghost. She washed her own clothes, cleaned her own room, and tread lightly on the floors and the carpets. She practically floated over the gravel walks in the garden, barely disturbing a stone. She never touched a plant or picked a flower. She ate only what was left over when the gardener and the housekeeper were done with their meals. One day in late August, as twilight fell and the cicadas screamed, she walked the garden path, sure to not leave a footprint behind, and spotted a feather. Glossy and black, it shone with blue just like her hair. She looked around and could not see a bird that might shed such a treasure. Something about it whispered, I am of your blood. I am of your bone. Mistress Gregory had been clear she was not to leave a piece of herself behind. She picked up the feather and continued walking. She found another feather, then another. Soon, dozens of them filled her arms and eventually the skirt of her apron, which she used as a basket to carry them back to Burdock House. The next day and the day after were the same. More feathers and no birds. She piled the feathers into baskets, which she wove from reeds that she found near the river just beyond the Burdock House gate. Then she waited. She knew the feathers were hers, though she did not know why she knew this. She didn't know what to do with them at first, so she rearranged them by size and left them in the baskets that did not belong in Burdock House any more than she did. She waited, though she knew not what for, as the moon waxed. The night it reached fullness, she startled awake. 
Her tiny room at the top of the attic stairs were bathed in cool white light. The feathers glowed in the moonlight. Though no window was open anywhere, they rustled in their baskets as if a breeze had blown gently by, or they'd been stroked by a hand. At this thought, Wren shivered and she reached out for the sheet she'd thrown aside in the attic heap. Heightened awareness crackled over her skin and she felt something unseen touch her arm, which she jerked away. It touched her again, something cold and sharp. Something she might say felt like a knife, if she hadn't known it was a claw. No, not a claw, a talon. Then came the singing. It was a soprano voice, hoarse and haunting, but beautiful even when the notes it sung were flat. Where, oh where, has my little bird gone? Where, oh where, can she be? Through blood and stone, feathers and bone, where, oh where, can she be? She was here at the start, but now we're apart. Where, oh where, can she be? I have searched high and low, but none seem to know where she's gone. But she's still dear to me. Ren could hear more of the song, but the voice was far away. A cloud blew over the moon and the spell broke. The feathers stopped glowing. Nothing was touching her and the house was quiet once more. She spent the next day anxiously pacing. That night, the moon was still nearly full and she tried to stay awake to watch its effect on the feathers, but by the time the moon was high enough in the sky to cast its light on them, she'd fallen asleep. This time, she woke to the scrape of a talon down her arm and the sound of the song already in progress. Where, oh where, has my midnight wren gone? Where, oh where, can she be? Through blood and stone, feathers and bone, where, oh where, can she be? She must hear my song, for it will not be long, for they drag her back down. She must sew a black gown, a mantle that's fit for a queen. The voice continued singing, but again seemed a great distance away. She wanted to hear the rest of the song, but dared not leave her bed, frozen as she was with fear at the time. For they drag her back down. Her body clenched with revulsion at the memory, the one she could not place, the nightmare memory. The hands that grabbed at her, thick and violent, pulling her from something she loved, dragging her down and down, the shouts of triumph as they cut out her left eye to complete their evil spell, the blood that spilled on the ground, the crunch of bone as they made her anew, the never knowing what she remembered, the fractured source of strength, the whole she felt at the core of her being where something was missing. They took something from her more than her eye, more than her freedom. They took something that must be returned. She looked at the feathers in the moonlight and they did not glow. This night, they swallowed the light. She knew what to do with them now, but she wanted to hear the rest of the song. The next morning, she barely remembered falling back asleep and she went through the day in a day 
is. As shadows fell and twilight crept over Burdock House, she felt as though she was waking up. Where she numbed herself for years, she felt again. She scratched into her skin, into her body. She gently touched the scar around her eye and did not shudder once. As night fell, she stroked the feathers and shivered with pleasure because it was just like touching herself. She could feel her fingers stroke them. She felt them rustle as though they were attached to her own body. She and the feathers were one and she knew she'd make the gown. Wren curled into the chair, folding her long legs under her and waited for night to fall. This time, she would not fall asleep. This time, she would hear the whole song. But again, she nodded off and was woken by the scrape of a talon on her arm. This time, she was early. The singing hadn't begun. Deep within the house, there came steps up the stairs. Up they climbed until their footsteps in the long attic hallway. She held her own breath, only to hear heavy breathing on the other side of the door. Then the song began. The voice was closer than it had ever been before, as though the singer had pressed their lips against the keyhole. As Ren listened, she realized the song had changed. Where, oh where has my little bird gone? Where, oh where can you be? Through blood and stone, feathers and bone, where, oh where can you be? You were here at the start, but now we're apart. Where, oh where can you be? I have searched high and low, but none seem to know where you've gone, but you're still dear to me. Where, oh where has my midnight wren gone? Where, oh where, can you be? Through blood and stone, feathers and bone, where, oh where, can you be? You must hear my song, for twill not be long, for they drag you back down. You must sew a black gown, a mantle that's fit for a queen. Where, oh where, has my little girl gone? Where, oh where, can you be? Stolen away sixteen years and a day. Steal you back, will I, so you're free. Now I see where you've gone, and it will not be long till I steal you back, steal you back, till you're free. Wren held her breath until she felt her lungs burn and tears sting up in her eyes. She gasped for air and rushed to the door, throwing it open. The hallway was empty. Sixteen years and a day. Wren swallowed, feeling her throat acutely for the first time in years. She would be seventeen on September 6th. Sixteen years after she'd come to live with her father. Impossible thoughts swirled in her head. Impossible because her mother was dead. Or so she'd been told. She almost pushed the idea away, but for a flicker of clarity... The memory, the nightmare memory of the hands. She was not being pulled down into something, but being pulled down from somewhere. With certainty, she knew she must start on the gown, so she stole into the headmistress's bedroom, which was never locked. 
With the house empty of students, teachers, and most of the servants, she was free to do as she pleased and had no remorse for entering Mistress Gregory's room. She rifled through the ornately carved sewing table, looking for needle and thread. She found the needle she needed immediately, but had to lift a secret panel from the deepest drawer to find the thread. Such strange thread it was, not made of common fibers, no blues or purples or greens, but only the color of hair. Here was Mistress Gregory's secret, the mark against her. Mistress Gregory set the fate of her students with bits and pieces of themselves. Each spool of thread was tied with various beautiful bits of torn dresses and tattered hair ribbons, bound with sacred herbs and flowers to promote abundance, wealth, and beauty. Each was made to ensure the success of the girl it was harvested from. But one. Hers. Hers was bound with ugly, dingy twine and a hunk of iron. She tore the twine and iron from her spool and her body felt light as air, as though her bones were hollow. That night, she began work on the gown. It was a thrilling but painful process, just as she could feel her own hand touch the feathers the same way she felt her hands upon her own skin, she felt each prick of the needle, each tug of the thread. The memory of the hands and what had been stolen eroded a little with each painful pull. Finally, her birthday arrived and the gown was finished. She qu quivered as she slipped out of her old, badly mended dress. The gown was different from any she'd ever possessed. It was sleek and elegant, fit for royalty. She was unsure how she'd known the way to sew such a garment, and had hardly remembered doing so now that it was finished. Sixteen years and a day. If the song was to be believed tomorrow, she would be free. Unsurprisingly, the housekeeper made no overtures for her birthday, and her father sent no messages or presents. It was as if it had always been until twilight fell and the cicada song turned into a chorus of screams. In the garden, in the place she'd found the first feather, she found a crown, wrought from the same black feathers that made her gown. As she drew it up from the ground to look at it, she saw it glittered with tiny teardrop-shaped diamonds. When night fell, she slept easily and did not wake until late the next day. When she woke, the sky was so dark, she could only just tell it wasn't night. The gown gleamed in the dim light of the attic. There was little left to do but put it on, she supposed. As she stepped into it, something was different. Something about the interior of the gown was prickly, like pulling on a coat of burrs. It stung her body, clinging to her skin, but she did not take it off. Fear and anticipation sang through her when she looked at the crown. She felt her blood rushing through her veins, and the dress clung even more tightly to her skin as she raised it to her head. Open the window, 
came the voice she knew was her mother's. She opened the window and an enormous raven swept in on the stormy wind. Their eyes locked and she nodded once in recognition. The nightmare memory was clear now. She'd been pulled from the sky. Pulled from freedom, pulled from the shelter of her mother's wing. Her eye taken to stop her ability to shift forms, sent here to be hidden away and kept weak by Mistress Gregory. <laughs> but she was not weak now. No, she was strong. The gown dug into her human skin, the little prickles became sharp talons. Wren's human blood seeped into the dress and tears rolled down her face. They were tears of pain, but not of sadness. She would not be parted from her own self a minute longer. Wren, embracing the pain of becoming, and when she was whole once more, she spread her wings and followed her mother back to the sky. want to give a huge thank you and shout out to Allison for letting us read her story for this week's episode. Allison Carwechter is the author of Vessel of Starfire, the debut novel in the Outlaws of Interra trilogy. She lives in Minnesota where she spends her days telling stories and helping others tell theirs. Right now she is probably drinking a cup of tea and herding a lynx cat off her desk. Follow her work and sign up for her newsletter, the link in the episode notes for news of upcoming tales. And forthcoming from Holly Carlson and Allison, The Way of Thorn and Key. Linked by blood, separated by time. Witches are disappearing and only the black thorns can save them. This new adult fantasy serial includes a diverse cast of characters, a queer love story, and a magical village lost to human perception. The Way of Thorn and Key is the story of two witches brought together by a magical book. Poppy and Briar must find a way to work together to save the people they love. The Key Opens the Way, March 2021. Wittershins is created by Ashley Nunez of Old Growth Alchemy and folk musician Joe Saborin. In the presence of their curious cat Django, a few too many half-drunk cups of tea, and far too many begrudgingly half-completed art projects. If you'd like to follow along Joe and his musical machinations, you can find him at Joe Saborn Music on Facebook and Instagram, or joesaborn.com. For more glimpses into the wild woods of story, botanical libations, and sensual ephemera, you can find me, Ashley, at Old Growth Alchemy on Facebook and Instagram, or at oldgrowthalchemy.com. And if you've enjoyed what you're listening to, give us a review on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Spotify. Until next time, friends new and old, we'll be sure to keep the kettle on with a seat open for you by the fire.